find shit in a museum It was a video installation of Linda Ronstadt And I really miss my friends, but I don't see them All I see is this video of Linda Ronstadt Today the salt and sun ran down my face After a year of hiding all my feelings Then I totally lost my shit in that museum All from a video installation of Linda Ronstadt I almost made it through a year Of choking down my fears But they're gone for now All thanks to Linda Ronstadt I almost made it through a year of choking down my fears, but they're gone for now, all thanks to Linda Ronstadt. And I can't handle astounding works of beauty. I think I like my pretty, pretty ugly. But the beautiful soul I witnessed in that movie was an entirely different kind of Stop barking Like a cut That never stops bleeding Arizona sunsets In the early evening Or a grown man Inconsolably weeping Almost made it through a year of choking down my fears, but they're gone for now. All thanks to Linda Ronstadt. I almost made it through a year of choking down my fears, but they're gone for now. All thanks to Linda Ronstadt. I almost made it through a year of choking down my fears, but they're gone for now. All part on NPR when they're like, now we come to the time where we ask you to donate. Well, this is like that, but short. Donate at bff.fm slash donate today. Good morning or evening. Good night. It depends on how you view midnight in your general day. My name is Alon Moskowitz and this is the Fake Publishing Millionaire's Hour. Uh, we've got Michael Sweater and Josue Cruz from the comic Puppy Night talking about the creative process between an artist in San Francisco and a writer in Arkansas. And I won't uh, delay. Let's just get right down the fuck to it. How's the process work of handing off a script uh, to your artist uh, and how does it work translating the script to the page? Um, it's pretty, it's pretty simple. Uh, I, so I am not a, like a, I don't think well in words, which, you know, the way I respond to that should clearly uh, illustrate that for people. I actually think in images, so I draw the pages loosely. Um, and, you know, those are basically suggestions that Josue then absolutely disregards my drawings. <laughs> um, but it's, you know, it's instead of like writing, you know, like this person picks this up. I feel like in my head I have a pretty specific way I'm seeing it. Um, so I just draw it and then I hand it to them, and then they make it look not like garbage. Uh, that in and of itself is very interesting because most people, I feel like, the writers hand off. Uh, not so much sketches or even uh, little uh, thumbnails, but very much just scripts of sorts, correct? Uh, I mean, that's it's kind of standardized that way now, but it's not. it hasn't historically been that way. Um, there was actually an in-between person called a plotter in a lot of old books where they would take the script and break it down for like newer artists. Mm. And like Harvey Kurtzman is a, you know, a famous cartoonist, and they would do a very similar thing. It's where I got the idea that that was even possible. Um, you know, where you would just do a loose sketch and then hand it off. Um, and, you know, I think a lot of uh, manga's done that way, even though, like, you know, the, you know, when you look at the, 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 I've seen a lot of, like, examples of, like, people writing manga and handing stuff to artists, and it's, like, basically stick figures. Uh, but I think there's so much storytelling in just how the page is laid out that you can't capture in words that I, I honestly think it's 
almost ridiculous to write just words in the hand to somebody, even though that's kind of how it works now. I forget. There was an example that was so hilarious. I think it was for like an image book, but essentially like the writer wrote this whole like description of this really like beautiful, amazing background, like describing the buildings and the craters on this like alien planet. And, and he wrote so much detail that when the artist got it, it was like, I'm not drawing that. And basically just drew an over the shoulder shot where it was mostly taken <laughs> up by like the superhero. And so I, I think that that relationship is very like, I, I think it's interesting to be able to, to break apart the responsibilities in that way. But I think the way Mike does it, cause like Mike, Mike can handle a comic, drawing a comic on his own. So when he hands me those like rough pages, like it helps me kind of, understand what the story should look like. Um, but also the layouts is something that, that I have the most, um, I struggle the most with. Um, it's hard for me to break down a script into um, how it should flow uh, on the page. I'm really much more into like punching up a page and kind of, it just work, works out that Mike and I kind of are on the same level. So when he hands over his pages, his roughs, um, I kind of like, you know, I kind of, um, you know, interpret it through my own lens. And Mike has his own way of drawing. Um, and then I have a completely different way of drawing. Uh, but somehow, Good. yeah, <laughs> no, <laughs> you, but I, I, but what I do, I, it just seems like anytime like I show Mike a page, like we're, we're always on the same uh, wavelength. That's kind of the thing with like the scripts though, is like, writing a comic so much like the panel size has so much to do with the rhythm of the page and the general feel that you can't really capture that easily in text. I think that's, that's so much of the writing for comics that I can't imagine doing just a script. Um, I heard the other day you're about to expand the scale of what you're doing together with puppy night by like exponentially correct uh, with a larger book for the next round. Yeah. yeah, it's like four to four and a half times uh, bigger of a book than uh, Puppy Night Den of Deception. How did you approach the second book as a crew? Uh, when Mike, uh, so I've known Mike since 2013 through Tumblr. And uh, while I was going to college, kind of disconnected from creating art. And after I graduated in 2017, you know, I started working, I started doing uh, design work and wasn't super happy with it. Uh, and I always wanted to get back into drawing. And when 2019 came around, I got laid off from my last job and I, and I took a break and I thought, okay, I'll move back home. I want to see if I can get back into making comics. And I reconnected with Mike. Um, and you know, we, we started catching up and then like Mike kind of comes out of nowhere, uh, with like, Hey, uh, I have a book that I'm thinking about and you know, I think you can draw it. You know, what do you think? And I kind of came along saying like, you know, I've never done anything more than like a, a five page comic. Do you think you can, I could really, you think I can really do it? And he basically said like, if you think you can go for it. And so it was my first time meeting um, Avi from Silver Sprocket. And uh, Mike was actually pitching this second book, this bit wider um, uh, book, uh, story um, for our first project together. And, you know, I've only done five pages, so to go from five pages to 140, which was the original script, was a big leap. And uh, Avi was original script, right? Avi was the reality check, and he basically said, "You, you know, listen, like let's let's baby steps, like uh, let's start with like a shorter story." And so that's where Dana Deception came about. Like Mike wrote a completely different story uh, to start off this this journey. And um, now that we got this next book coming, we, we can finally revisit that original bigger story we wanted to do. You know, you can always move stuff around. Like when I'm doing big projects, I constantly move stuff around anyway. You know, what's in the beginning might end up in the middle. Um, you know, sort of like I have a big file where I draw all my pages and just move stuff to see where it fits right. So, you know, it's not a problem to just say, well, what comes before the thing you just saw? I like the um, plasticity with which you approach writing the narrative. I mean, I don't overthink anything. Like, uh, I think so much of what pe what I enjoy in comics is people's, like, you know, point of view and, you know, the general tone to the point where I don't really obsess with perfecting things like structure, even though I'm very interested in it. Um, you know, so I, you know, as long as I'm writing and working, I can just change what I'm doing 
on a dime at any time. And then I'm the one who usually stresses about perfecting things. Usually with the, the artwork, <laughs> I have a, a very like specific vision I'm trying to go for. Like I, I was reading a lot of um, like DuckTale comics, Popeye and Asterix when working on the first book. And there was a lot about the way those characters in the world specifically were drawn that I really wanted to capture. And, and one of the problems that I'm still trying to solve for comics is a stamina and pacing and timing game. And there's many times where I really want those backgrounds to basically like um, bring the reader like into that world. I spend a lot of time on the backgrounds and, and there's also other details that I remember in our, in our first book, there was a panel and that I was working on of just this little zombie dude getting hit by a rock. And I share, I share all the pages with Mike when they, when, when they get done. Uh, but then I'll, I'll upload another file like um, uh, where we put the files in the Dropbox. And then he'll notice that like, oh, you, you fixed that you updated that drawing of that little zombie guy. And then he'll notice that like I, I updated it three, four times, just going back to that one panel. And it, it's a lesson I learned that I'm just like burning precious time by revisiting and trying to be overly perfectionist. So with this next book, I, I'm really embracing more of like, you know, have happy mistakes happen and then just kind of move forward and, and keep going with those pages. Well, one of the reasons I also noticed you changed it once, so I don't know how many times you changed it, but I, I changed it four times that panel. <laughs> and it was a thing of like the first drawing was great, and I think that's why I was giving you grief about it. Yeah, but, I think it, it was a lesson yeah, I, I needed to learn, and it's one that I'm still learning um, as I'm getting better at like you know pushing forward with pages. Well, especially because like a reader only looks at a panel for like right. Right. five seconds at most, so. Like, you gotta really, you gotta use your time very well. Yeah, it's it's too much of like, a, and then I, I learned this when I was like going to school. Like, don't make babies out of your projects. And it's something I'm really like, I still need to learn that lesson. Like, there, you know, people are still gonna be able to enjoy the story, even if like I draw one hair on somebody's head an inch to the left. You know, say sometimes, uh, for instance, with music. Uh, you keep hammering over parts and that's where having somebody that's sitting in a sound booth mm-hmm. that's like frustrated with you hammering over parts. <laughs> that's an outside person just being like, no, like it's not always helpful, but it's an interesting what you're talking about before about having a reality check. Some right. s- certain scenarios afford you a reality check and others you can kind of be left with your own cycling mania. You know what I mean? Right. It, it, it could be good to have a sounding board. Like ideally, like uh, Mike would just be working in the cubicle next to me. And we'd be able to like hammer these things out, but you know we're creators in a modern age trying to like you know communicate through email, text, or how whatever means we can uh, to make this project work and move it forward. Uh, Michael, to we're... be fair, I also did that a lot too originally. Like I've at this point on my own drawn like a thousand pages, and at some point you just stop doing that, um, just because it, you know you can't get through projects if you keep looking back you mean with uh consistently editing your work over and over yeah yeah i mean that's like a problem everyone has like nobody doesn't have that impulse um it's just that's something time will you know it'll teach you way like there are times when you know you do want to really take the time to edit it like when you're trying to write the third act of a book or you're trying to draw like the big page maybe you redraw that a couple times but you know you kind of learn you don't do that with you know, sort of just single panels that are in between important events over time. You you get trained out of it. Cool. Welcome back to now that was recorded earlier this week. Uh, Michael is in Arkansas and has the more phone sounding voice. Uh, While it was a pleasure to get to hang out with uh, Jose in the studio here. Um, I'm going to rip a set of really cool mariachi covers. Uh, The first one is Mariachi El Bronx doing I Would Die For You by Prince. And the second one is Mexracy, the Mariachi Morrissey cover band doing First of the Gang to Die. Just one more.
Oh 
From Cap Street to the world, this is BFF.FM. Hey, it's Alon here once again. Coming up next, I got Los Delincuentes y Tomasito playing Kiss Off by the Violent Femmes. They're from Spain. I just wanted to throw that into the mix. Oye, mujer, me siento fatal. Estoy buscando a alguien que me quiera chuchar. Puede ser tú. Puede ser tú. Esto se pone feo, entonces empiezo a gritar. Es solo la costumbre que siempre pide más. Empiezo a temblar. Pero todo me da igual. Fuera de mi vista no lo quiero ni ver. Amigos como rata criticándome. Quiero una buena rubia que me haga flotar. Vente tú conmigo porque todo me da igual. Todo me da igual. Que todo me da igual. Todo me da igual. Espero que sepas que esto se queda grabado para siempre. Tampoco para tanto, no te pongas de Digo uno, uno, uno por los colegas, digo dos, dos, dos por la familia, tres, tres, tres por mi dolor, digo cuatro, cuatro, me duele la cabeza, digo cinco, hoy me encuentro solo, digo seis, seis, me quito toda la pena, siete, siete, siete no hay futuro, ocho, ocho, no me acuerdo del ocho, nueve, nueve, no tenemos dioses, diez, 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 todo de todo, 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 fuera de mi vista no lo quiero ni ver, amigos como rata criticándome, quiero una buena rubia que me haga flotar, vente tú conmigo porque todo me da igual, Back to the Pacific Northwest. Up next, we got Reviver.
All right. Once again, my name is Alon Moskowitz. This is the Fake Publishing Millionaire's Hour, where we talk to writers, creators, and all sorts of people about the process. The process. Big quotes, big capitals, big words. Just big fucking words. Um, anyhow, um, so today uh, I do want to mention that Puppy Night Den of Deception, the first installment of Puppy Night, um, which is a really kick-ass all-ages fantasy that's got a ton of humor and heart, uh, is in stores like everywhere through Silver Sprocket. So, you know, if you're interested, it's super easy to find an order from like Silver Sprocket or your independent comic shop. I'm going to get you right the fuck back to that interview right now. But I did just want to cue you the fuck up for it. You pumped? I'm pumped. Let's have a good time. How far apart are you guys right now? You're, there's, this is a, a distance project at the moment, correct? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm in San Francisco. I live in sunny Fayetteville, Arkansas, where the rent is not San Francisco. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I have this question I never asked you, Mike. I so there's a couple of like places in Den of Deception that I specifically chose from like San Francisco, like the cathedral uh, where the you know heroes find the treasure. Uh, that was a church um, right off of uh, Franklin here in San Francisco, and then there was other like Saint Dominic was a church that I used for the interior. Did you do you ever like? walk around because you used to live like around or you still do around like a wooded area do you ever like pick up like certain locations from where you're living in arkansas yeah i mean i'm i forgot this interview was happening and i'm literally two hours from home in the woods hiding behind a giant warehouse right now <laughs> um, and i'm just i'm just out writing and drawing so yeah i mean every, i'm to me, being outside and seeing things informs everything I draw. Yeah, because we have a lot of like woods scene. Like the the second book starts in the woods, and then we actually go back quite a few times <laughs> to the woods. Well, we had that one of the in the second book. We actually turned one of the woods into a hedge maze. Okay. Because there was too much woods in the book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I spend a lot of time in the woods. You know, I live in Arkansas. I live in like a college town, but we have a trail that runs through town that like goes to a couple mountains. And so I'm just always, you know, I don't really write inside. You know, I just, I don't find that I get as much done. And I feel like when I'm outside, it's just more, it comes more naturally. So I spend a lot of time just walking trails in the woods. Like, I don't even have Wi-Fi in my office. Like, I, to me, like, I have to be seeing kind of tangible things to work. Otherwise, I feel like what I end up doing is incredibly sterile. Uh, I don't know if that makes any sense. Uh, but, you know, like, when you need a reference, if you just, like, Google, like, for a church, for instance, you know, you used a very specific church, so it looked very interesting and unique. Uh, when most people draw a church, they just Google church, and everybody's using those first 20 images on Google. So, you know, I think it kind of uh, stifles sort of the, the diversity of, like, visual elements and imagery. You know, if I'm here, I'm literally just, if I want to draw a church, I'm going to walk to a church. Um, and, you know, the churches I have here are very specific. You know, we have a a pretty specific style of churches here. They're almost all like bricks with like the triangle buildings and a huge glass front. It's like a pretty specific Southern look to a, I don't want to say budget church, but like a church that's like not older. Um, and so, you know, that's gonna, you know, there aren't very many people drawing, looking at the things where I'm at. So I think it's just going to give me a little bit more of a specific, you know, flavor that's not going to look like everything else. And I think that's um, also a kind of, works out in the world of puppy night because i think one of the you know one of the world building questions you have to ask like oh you know is this set in a specific time period and i think we decided that like we want like you, we don't want you to be able to answer that question like there's like a in the first book there's like a saloon in like a medieval town and there's like an old-fashioned barkeep uh in a swords and shields kind of dungeons and dragony kind of place so, I, you know, it, it is a Dungeon and Dragon world, but I think we've allowed ourselves to, you know, be able to build the world with, like, yeah, whatever kind of surroundings we do live in. Yeah, like, electricity clearly doesn't exist, but the second book does have ski ball. Is it yeah. magic ski ball? Could be. <laughs> we could make it up. <laughs> <laughs> there was, like, a tavern in the second book that I thought was too similar to the first book, so I was like, 
did you say we should make it more like Chuck E. Cheese? I think we were talking about like Dave and Buster's kind of arcadey kind of. Yeah. Because like you know we're still you know this is an all ages book and like there with that comes like some restrictions like in the first book like the the you know it's a tavern but they're drinking soda like there's there's casks that yeah. say puppy tail cola. And the liquid's purple because any other color that I tried to to make it look too much like any <laughs> kind of alcoholic beverage. So you know we have we live within this kind of somewhat of a constraint. Uh, nobody gets killed. Uh, the swords don't actually get used to cut things. You bonk people with the sides of the swords. Uh, it's very much like Ninja Tur- uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja, Ninja Turtle rules. Like nobody actually ever gets cut by like uh, Leonardo's uh, sword. What is the projected date for the next uh, installment of Puppy Night? Publishing is such a weird, like, uh, like timeline. Like, everything you work on is yeah. going to come out, like, two years after its inception. And it's just kind of, like, like essentially, like, maybe to the viewer, it looks like the books are coming out regularly. But, like, while we're making it, it just feels like we're working in the past on something that's going to come out. I don't know. It, it is kind of weird and timey-wimey. But um, I think next year, 2024, is when this first one's going to come out. Second one, sorry. It's going to be very exciting. Yeah. It's going to be like, uh, the, there's going to be way more action. Uh, again, like, the worlds uh, are going to be bigger. And, like, it, I, I, I don't know how to describe it, but, like, if you ever watch Dragon Ball Z, and, like, any time, like, the hero faces off, like, a villain that's stronger than them, they always overcome it, and then they get stronger. Like... Something like there's a big like art change between the Den of Deception and the second book, and I don't I don't even know how it happened. Like I don't even think I I don't know I can't believe that um the I don't know I'm tooting my own horn. The art's gonna be awesome. <laughs> it, it turns out if you draw a bunch, you get better. Yeah, who the fuck? If you keep practicing, you actually get better. Tell me about some other comics that inform this specific project. Like, what do you? What are the big references? I, I already kind of mentioned like um, Scrooge McDuck, um, Asterix, Asterix mostly like there's so much, so many beautiful nature shots in those books. A lot of um, French artists, um, uh, uh, Thierry Martin, um, uh, I, I would, I, you know, Mobius is inspiration, but not for this book. Like this is a definitely different style meant for all ages. Uh, but any kind of European comic where like a forest is like a, uh, principal background um really went into this book mm. yeah and i think the writing is honestly more informed by sitcom structure and sitcoms from like the 80s and 90s so i don't really read a lot of comics we're talking like cheers and stuff like that uh yeah i mean i i i'm i'm very obsessed with like tight structures so i found myself you know when studying writing you know, really going back to also like when, you know, the production was like faster on shows than then. And to me, that's like very interesting um, because that's how I like to work. I don't like to dwell on something. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I watch a lot of like Frasier, Cheers. Uh, I watched all of Wings recently. Don't <laughs> do that. That show no. is terrible. That's uh, the same crew that did Cheers and Taxi. You'd think it'd be better. It has a really beautiful set. Uh, the airport in it is really interesting. Um, it's like a one room set, but you know, since it's the a small airport, if you pull back, you can see all of like stores and locations next to the waiting area. Um, I think honestly, that's what kept me compelled was just how they were using that. It's like a two layer set with like a second story. Um, you know, yeah, like I'm more interested in things like sets and, you know, I, I feel like I've, the way I write is pretty specific to me. Um, in a lot of ways, mostly what I'm looking for and other things that influence me is structure uh, because I don't inherently understand that. I feel like even though there's like a lot of comics, it still feels, especially in America, incredibly limited in like tone and subject matter. Or comic tropes that you can't stand? Uh, like, I don't, well, that's the thing is like, I don't, if I don't like something, I stop reading it. Mm. So I don't really know. I mostly focus yeah. on things I like. You know, I don't like the format of traditional American comics. I think they're too tall, and you have to do four tiers to make it work. And I think three tiers is a better rhythmic reading experience. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you do three tiers on a traditional American page, 
your panels have to be very skinny, and I don't think you can get enough background in it. Um, so that's probably what I like the least about most comics. Yeah, I mean, I, I draw everything, you know, even though, like, uh, you know, Puppy Knight is in a different size, I do my original layouts at 7 by 10 which is basically 99% of manga. And I figure if it works for everyone there, it's fine for me. <laughs> One of the things that, that I think work really well with the way uh, Mike lays out his pages is that like with, with the, with the style that Mike writes, you know, it's, it's a very like, it's, it's a nicely paced, like set up to a joke and then the punchline and like the panels have to work in that way. Like you don't want a punchline to carry over into the, the next page or you have to flip the page to, to unless you're seeing like a big surprise on a splash like you don't want to interrupt a joke and when yeah. i've been working with these layouts that's how i've noticed it like i can group like you know four uh jokes on a spread and be able to draw them so that the the timing and the the pacing of the joke um you know works flawlessly and so i think yeah. i think that i think that's a testament to the three-tier structure i i've never really Again, layout isn't my thing. Like the first, like the longest comic I worked on that was uh, before Puppy Night was a five page for uh, Laser Scene. Uh, Laser Scene, and if you look at and I, I sent I sent those uh, an example. It was the Puppy Love comic uh, that I worked on. Uh, mm. Those layouts were all over the place, and they're, they're, I think there's there's good experimental uh, layouts in comics. But what I my very first comic was a very bad example of experimental layouts in comics because the the rhythm and the pacing is so important in trying to um you know tell your story well i mean i think also i read that comic i don't think it's bad i just think it's uh i don't think people uh i don't think people are thinking about things like that um i come from like web comics and like strips mm -hmm. so to me every page would be a post in yeah. quotes like all my previous projects so you have to have a good ending at the end yeah. of the page. And I think when you put that in a collection, the reading experience has a, a very regular rhythm to it um, that makes it easier to read. Yeah. And I think, yeah. I, I think you know, Puppy Night has those traces of, like, uh, webcomic humor where, like, the jokes, uh, you, you know, you're, you're getting jokes on every page. And I think that's also why the, the, the book has been so enjoyable to work on. Yeah, I mean, it's not, it's never four pages of two people expositing at each other. Right. Like I, that would, I don't do that. <laughs> Thanks once again. That was the creative crew from Puppy Night. Their books out on Silver Sprocket everywhere. Den of Deception. I wrote a message to my former self. Afraid of the future wasn't really too sure. Yeah.
Like music? Like supporting the local scene? Like doing nice things? Well, donate to BFF.FM at BFF.FM slash donate today to help keep community radio and the Bay Area music scene alive. Thank you for having us. Oh, my pleasure. Yeah, thank you. The first edition of Puppy Night is available like everywhere through Silver Sprocket, right? Like that's a pretty easy to find book. Puppy Night, um... Den of Deception. Den of Deception. Yeah. You can find it. Yeah, I think, honestly, like, you support your local comic book shop. Um, Solar Sprocket will always have it. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it's available. It's, you know, through major bookstore distributors, so it's in a lot of places. Uh, but also, you know, I prefer people get it from a comic shop, personally. Yeah. Once again, that's Josue Cruz and Michael Sweater of Puppy Night. Den of Deception and Part 2 currently in the works. Uh, I'm going to play some Flying Raccoon Suit and some other ska music to take us out tonight. Uh, thanks for being here. This has been fucking fun. BFFFM is a wonderful fucking place to be a DJ. Thank you so much.
just a reminder that if you came for the zines but don't like the ska music, you can go home. Thanks again. Bye. Fake Publishing Millionaire's Hour. has been worse than the day before it. So that means that every single day that you see me, that's on the worst day of my life. <laughs>